0: Good afternoon, congregation. We'd like to extend a warm welcome to all of you who are worshiping with us this afternoon. We just have uh, one announcement, and that is that our council will be having a meeting tomorrow night at 730. And uh, our song of approach this afternoon is Psalm 148, the first two verses.
1: Brothers and sisters, please rise. The Lord, our God, calls us to worship. Praise the Lord, all your nations. Extol him, all your peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Let us now confess our help is in the name of the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Grace and peace to you from Him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let us now sing in response to the greeting of the Lord from the same Psalm 148, Standards 3 and 4. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Baptism is requested by Brother and Sister Adam and Cheryl Vandenhoven for their daughter Lauren Elizabeth, and Brother and Sister Ben and Esther Vandenhoefden for their daughter Eden Joel. Let us, before we administer the Holy Baptism, let us first read the form for the Baptism of Infants, as you can find it on page 587 of our Book of Praise. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the doctrine of holy baptism is summarized as follows. First, we and our children are conceived and born in sin and are therefore by nature children of wrath, so that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again. This is what the immersion in or sprinkling with water teaches us. It signifies the impurity of our souls so that we may detest ourselves, humble ourselves before God, and seek our cleansing and salvation outside of ourselves. Second, baptism signifies and seals to us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. We are therefore baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized into the name of the Father, God the Father testifies and seals to us that He establishes an eternal covenant of grace with us. He adopts us for His children and heirs, and promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. When we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son promises us that He washes us in His blood from all our sins and unites us with Him in His death and resurrection. Thus we are freed from our sins and accounted righteous before God. When we are baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, assures us by this sacrament that he will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ, imparting to us what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing from our sins and a daily renewal of our lives, till we shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. Third, since every covenant contains two parts, a promise and an obligation, we are through baptism called and obliged by the Lord to a new obedience. We are to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust Him and to love Him with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and with all our strength. We must not love the world, but put off our old nature and lead a God-fearing life. And if we sometimes through weakness fall into sins, we must not despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin, for baptism is a seal and trustworthy testimony that we have an eternal covenant with God. Although our children do not understand all this, we may not therefore exclude them from baptism. Just as they share without their knowledge in the condemnation of Adam, so are they without their knowledge received into grace in Christ. For the Lord spoke to Abraham, the father of all believers, and thus also speaks to us and our children, saying, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Peter also testifies to this when he says, The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord Our God will call. Therefore, in the old dispensation, God commanded that infants be circumcised. This circumcision was a seal of the covenant and of the righteousness of faith. Christ also took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. In the new dispensation, baptism has replaced circumcision. Therefore, infants must be baptized as heirs of the kingdom of God and of His covenant. And as they grow up, their parents have the duty to instruct them in these things. In order that we may now administer this holy sacrament of God to His glory for our comfort and to the upbuilding of the congregation, let us call upon His holy name. Almighty, Eternal God, in your righteous judgment, you punished the unbelieving and unrepentant world with a flood, but in your great mercy saved and protected the believer Noah and his family. You drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea, but led your people Israel through the midst of the sea on dry ground, by which baptism was signified. We therefore pray that you in your infinite mercy will graciously look Upon these, your children, and incorporate them by your Holy Spirit into your Son, Jesus Christ, so that they may be buried with him by baptism into death and raised with him to walk in newness of life. We pray that they, following him day by day, may joyfully bear their cross and cleave to him in true faith, firm hope. And ardent love, grant that they comforted in you may leave this life, which is no more than a constant death, and at the last they may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ your Son. All this we ask through Him, our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. May I ask the parents to rise? Beloved in Christ the Lord. You have heard that baptism is an ordinance of the Lord our God to seal to us and our children His covenant. We must therefore use this sacrament for that purpose and not out of custom or superstition. That it may be clear then that you desire baptism for the right purpose, you are to answer sincerely the following questions. First, Do you confess that our children, though conceived and born in sin, and therefore subject to all sorts of misery, even to condemnation, are sanctified in Christ, and thus as members of his church, ought to be baptized? Second, do you confess that the doctrine of the Old and New Testament, summarized in the confessions and taught here in this Christian church, is a true and complete doctrine of salvation. Third, do you promise as father and mother to instruct your child in this doctrine as soon as she is able to understand and to have her instructed therein to the utmost of your power? Brother and sister Vennenhoven. Brother Vandenhofer, what is your answer? Sister Vennenhoven. Brother Vennenruchten, what is your answer? Sister After baptism, let us then all rise and, and sing together Psalm 100, stanzas 2 and 4. Lauren Elizabeth Vandenhoven, I baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Eden Joel Vendruchten, I baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let us now pray. Almighty, merciful God and Father, we thank and praise you that you have forgiven us and our children all our sins through the blood of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. You received us through your Holy Spirit as members of your only begotten Son, and so adopted us to be your children. You sealed and confirmed this to us by holy baptism. We pray through your beloved Son that you will always govern these children by your Holy Spirit, that they may be nurtured in the Christian faith and in godliness and may grow and increase in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that they thus may acknowledge your fatherly goodness and mercy which you have shown to them and to us all. May they live in all righteousness under our only teacher, king, and high priest, Jesus Christ, and valiantly fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and his whole dominion. May they forever praise and magnify you and your Son, Jesus Christ, together with the Holy Spirit, the one, only, true God. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we have seen baptism being administered, the sign and the seal of the covenant that God made with us, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us now then, together with the Church of all times and all places, profess our faith in this triune God, the God of the covenant. We will do it with the Apostles' Creed and this afternoon by singing Standing Him One. Let us now ask the Lord in a prayer for the guidance of his Holy Spirit and a blessing over his worship service. Lord Almighty God, we come before you now again in a prayer. We thank you that we may know that you are our covenant God and we are your covenant people. Father, you come to us with your covenant promises you come to us in the sacraments this afternoon in baptism to give us a sign and a seal of your promises and of your covenant. And now we've also come together the second time on this Sunday, this day of rest, to listen to the preaching of your word. So endless is your love and also your patience with us. Every time again You speak to us in your word. Every time again. You call us together every week again and give us a day of rest. A day on which we have the time to come together as your people. The time to listen to your word. To meditate on it. To have fellowship together. To help and encourage each other in living within the covenant. Father, will you bless us also this afternoon uh, that we are together for this worship service? Will you work with your Holy Spirit when your word is proclaimed that the preaching of your word may be according to your holy will and that we all may listen with good attention and that our hearts may be opened for your word and that we may be filled with your Holy Spirit so that we believe and accept your word. Renew us then by your word and spirit and fill our hearts with thankfulness and joy and will you then accept also our sacrifices of thankfulness which we bring to you in all that we do in this worship service. That all who may be to the glory of your name, that it may be sanctified by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through your Holy Spirit. And that it may come before you as a perfect sacrifice. Father, we pray this all in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let us now read from God's Word, from the book of John, chapter 17. In John, chapter 17, there we read about the care of our Lord Jesus Christ for His church, for His disciples, and for His church, and this afternoon I proclaim to you the Word of God and what it says about the Church of Christ as it is confessed and summarized in Lodg. 21 about the Church, the communion of saints, saints who all need the forgiveness of sins. So let us now read John 17, and there we read the Word of God. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture will be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, Brothers and sisters, let us now sing from hymn 52, "The Church Is One Foundation," the stanzas one, two, and three. Brothers and sisters, I proclaim to the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the Church in Lord's Day 21. Let us now read Lord's Day 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism. In Lord's Day 21, there we read how the Church confesses. What do you believe concerning the holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his spirit and word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. Brothers and sisters, let us sing after the sermon as a response to God's word from hymn 52, standards 4 and 5. Beloved brothers and sisters congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we believe a holy Catholic Christian church. We confess in the Apostles' Creed. One church which is holy, which is also Catholic. Catholic, that means worldwide. Christ gathers his church not only in Jerusalem, not only here in Cloverdale, not only here in Canada, but all over the earth. And when we travel over the earth to other countries, then we will often find brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that is also why we have so many sister church relationships with churches in other parts of the world They all belong to the one holy Catholic Church of Christ, and even many more than those whom we know. And we also believe that Christ gathers His Church from the beginning of the world to its end. That means that we are all members of the same Church of Christ as Abram was and and Adam was and and David and, and Paul and Peter And all believers of all times and all places, it is by faith that we are grafted into Christ and accept all His benefits. We believe in the Holy Catholic Christian Church, the worldwide church of all times and all places. At the same time, this Holy Catholic Christian Church does not remain a vague, invisible idea. No, this Holy Catholic Christian Church is a communion of saints. A communion of real brothers and sisters who come together and who are all sanctified in Jesus Christ. All set apart for God. And when we talk about the church, then we talk about the people of God. And when we talk about the people of God, then we talk about real human beings called by God, saved by Jesus Christ. And those brothers and sisters, young and old, all incorporated in the church, all baptized as members of Christ, they all come together. Where they come together, there is the church. For where two or three come together in my name, Christ says, there I am with them. Brothers and sisters, I proclaim to you this afternoon the Word of God as the summarized in 21 of the Hardware Catechism. Under this theme, the Holy Catholic Church of Christ is a communion of saints who in the first place share in Christ's treasures and gifts, second, share in each other's blessings, and third, share in the forgiveness of sins. The Holy Catholic Church of Christ is a communion of saints who, in the first place, share in Christ's treasures and gifts. In John 17, we read the impressive prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ for his disciples and also for all those who, through their word, would believe in him. That is, he prayed for his church if God would protect them. And then in verse 15, there we read, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And already before in verse 11, he said, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. The Lord prayed, if God would work in them so that they might be one. Well, we often use that as a command for the church to seek ecclesiastical unity. And Indeed, in the Bible there is a command for ecclesiastical unity. But we should not take that directly from these words in John 17. Because this is the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ for his disciples and also for his church. It's a prayer. It's not a command. But in this prayer, it is clear that it is important that the church must be one. Because of the attempts of the evil one. Satan. He is out there to scatter the believer and tear the church apart. But what does that mean? that they may be one. And to understand that it is important also to read the words that follow. The words that follow after verse 11, but, but also in verse 22 again. Both times the Lord Jesus say that they may be one as we are one. And in verse 23 we read, I in them, and you in me, May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So I in them and you in me. The Lord Jesus speaks about a different unity than than just being one church federation, one group of churches, group of people with the same name. Now he speaks here about unity with himself, I in them, that all believers may be one with him, that he is in them and God is in him, that we all who believe are one in Christ in such a way that we are in fact the body of Christ in this world. In the New Testament, we do see indeed the example of the body being used for the church. The body of Christ, that is Christ's own flesh. Ephesians 5, verse 28, that Paul says to the husbands, with in mind the relationship between Christ and his church, that in the same way the husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And it means that when the world sees the church, then in the church they see Christ. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 verse 14 that he hopes to come to Timothy soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The Church as pillar and foundation of the truth. The truth that is God, that is Christ, that is the word of God, that is the truth. The word that became flesh in Jesus Christ. The church is now the pillar and foundation of the truth. That means that anyone who sees the church should see this truth. The church is witness of Christ. It is her task to preach Jesus Christ and preach Him crucified. And that is it. The church is in this world to preach Christ to this world. And if people in this world reject the church, then they reject Christ. And if people in this world hate and persecute Christ, then they will also persecute the church. Because the church is one with Christ, and Christ is in the church. We are Christ's body. We are grafted into Christ. Not that we now also are the Son of God, but We are all one in Christ and united with Christ. And therefore, everything that we do in this world is to show the greatness of Christ which is revealed in our lives so that others may see it and be called out of the darkness as well. As the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession so that you may proclaim... The excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You, once, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We received mercy through Jesus Christ and in Him. We may receive what He obtained for us. We are a church chosen to everlasting life. And in order to make it possible that we receive everlasting life, Jesus Christ obtained for us the righteousness and holiness. He paid for our sins. And He fulfilled all the obedience which we could not fulfill. And now He gives it to us. So that for God it is as if we did it all ourselves. And for God we are completely righteous. And because Christ made us completely righteous. And He sanctified us. We can now be His body. We have communion with Him. We are one with Him. We share in all His treasures and gifts. And that is the first thing that we believe and confess about the communion of saints, brothers and sisters. The first thing is, in the very first place, that we as believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with Him and share in all His treasures and gifts. That comes first. That we are all one in Christ. That we all are members of Christ and all are united in Christ. Share in all His treasures and gifts. So easily we can talk about communion of saints, how we experience communion of saints. Think about this. First is that we are all one in Christ and share in all His treasures and gifts. So look around you. To your left, to your right in front of you, behind you, who are sitting there, who are all sitting here in church. Well, we may believe that by faith we are all one. We are all united in Christ. You share with them all the same faith, the same riches. And are you really glad that you share in Christ's treasures and gifts, share in them together with the others? all those here in church? Now you're really filled with joy that you may have that wonderful salvation in Christ together with all those who believe. Why then not share that joy with all those who share in the same riches, the same treasures and gifts? Often people being in the same situation are being drawn closer together. They have something to talk about, something to share. Well, then share it. Encourage each other to rejoice and show your gladness. Encourage those who suffer from sicknesses and adversity, concern, sorrow, or are too busy to realize what they have. Encourage each other so that nothing in this life may depress us and take away that eternal joy. And admonish those who don't show this joy so that they may not fall away and may be saved. And that is being communion of saints. Care for each other. Care for each other's eternal well-being. And encourage each other in faith. It is important for the communion of saints that no one in the congregation of Christ may live uncomforted under the pressure of sickness, loneliness, and poverty. As mentioned in form for the ordination of office bearers. Usually in the spring a lot of churches will have the ordination of office bearers and as far as I know you will have it here in a couple of weeks. This passage comes from that form for the ordination of office bearers. But it is mentioned under a ministry of mercy. It is indeed the task of the deacons to encourage the congregation to live and act as a communion of saints. And it also means that the sick and the lonely are being visited and comforted and encouraged with the word of God. So the task of the deacons is not just to collect money and to help those who are poor. That is indeed a very important task. But the task is also to visit the sick and the lonely but also to encourage the congregation to do so. That is a task which each and every one of us has. To share in the treasures and gifts of Jesus Christ, to lift up those who are lonely, to encourage those who are struggling, to comfort those who are sick, all those who live under the pressure of sickness, loneliness, and poverty. Being Church of Christ, being communion of saints, is in the first place that we all have communion with Christ and share in all His treasures and gifts. Whether we are poor or rich, whether we are young or old, whether we are healthy or sick, whether we feel lonely or not, we all share in Christ's treasures and gifts. We all may share abundantly in the joy of God's people. And that is what we all have in common and what makes us so completely different from all those who do not believe. And that is what is being preached here every Sunday again. And that is what is administered to us in the sacraments as well, also this afternoon in Holy Baptism. The treasures and gifts of Christ come to us and our children every Sunday again. And that is the only task of the church, to preach the Word. And in the preaching of the Word, we receive the treasures and gifts of Christ through the Word, the Holy Spirit works. Therefore, it is important that the church is faithful in that when we read in Article 29 about the three marks, Article 29 of the Belgian Confession, about the three marks of the church, which are the pure preaching of the gospel, the pure administration of the sacraments, and exercising church discipline for correcting and punishing sins. Then the second and the third mark, sacraments and discipline, are directly connected with the preaching of the word. Sacraments are signs and seals by which God declares and seals to us the promise of the gospel. The gospel that has first been preached to us. And then, in addition to that, God gives the sacraments. So they come together with the gospel. And they always refer us back to the gospel. And church discipline is in fact the practical application of the gospel in the life of individual unfaithful Church members, it is the preaching of the word that distinguishes the church from this world. Therefore, the church has nothing else to do in this world than to be faithful in the preaching of God's word. The church, let's be honest, the church cannot compete with this world in anything else because the world does a much better job in attracting people by whatever you want to mention, music, entertainment, much more. But in a church, the church has something to offer, brothers and sisters, that no one in this world can give. The word of God, which promises us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And that is what a church should do and should be faithful in. And that is what Article 28 of the Belgian Confession means, when it says that there is no salvation outside of it. No salvation outside of it. A lot of discussion has been, has been there about this, this passage, these, these words. This article is not speaking at all about the possibility of believers who do not join the church and, and still can be saved. And that is not a point of discussion there in the Belgian Confession. It doesn't even consider that because it says that all believers have the duty to join the church. But this article means that in the church, the word of God is being preached, and and that is the only way of salvation. The preaching of the word of God, that is our salvation, and it can only be found in the church. The world has so much to offer to sinners, but no salvation. It is only in the church that we can find the gospel of salvation. There only is life by being united with Christ. United with Him in His death, and also united with Him in His resurrection. Only by faith in what God promises us in His Word. In the second place, we see that the Holy Catholic Church of Christ is a communion of saints who share in each other's blessings. The Catechism says in the second place about the communion of saints that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. God commands us to go to church, to, to join the true church, because that is the place where the gospel of salvation is being proclaimed. But another reason is that God knows that we need each other because that is the way in which God protects His church. When Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, then He did not leave His church alone as orphans. No, He sent His Holy Spirit to His church. And the Holy Spirit gives many gifts to His church. We must notice that it is about gifts which He gives to His church. Yes, indeed, the church is a communion of believers. And all those members of the church, they all receive their gifts. But they all receive their gifts as members of the church of Christ. As members of the one body of Christ. And we read about it, for instance, in Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verse 11. There Paul speaks about Jesus Christ we read about that unity, unity in faith. That's a unity for which Christ prayed in John 17, that we all may be one and that Christ is in us. Unity of the faith which is being reached when the body is being built up, prepared for works of service by all the gifts which Christ gives to his church. And here we read about the gift of God's Word, Ephesians 4. The apostles were mentioned. They preached God's Word, as did the prophets. The evangelists, they taught the church the words of God that were preached by the prophets and apostles. The pastors and teachers, they are the ministers of the Word, who preach the Word of God as it is given to the church through the service of apostles and prophets. So the gifts about which Paul is speaking in Ephesians 4 are all directly related to the Word of God. So the purpose of the preaching of the Word is that the church, that God's people may be prepared for works of service. Service to God and service to each other. And in that way the church is being built up and will reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And then Christ gives to specific members of the church specific gifts. But he also gives those members of the church as gifts to his church. We should note that Paul does not speak about gifts as being the preaching of the words or the work of the apostles, evangelists, and so on. But he speaks about the gifts which God gives to His church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, he summarizes with that the whole preaching of the Word. It's the preaching of the Word that God gives to His church, and, and all those persons, they must serve so that the preaching of the Word as gift to God's church can continue. They are not the only gifts. Here in Ephesians 4, Paul speaks specifically about the preaching of the Word, but In other parts of the New Testament, we can read about other gifts as well. In 1 Corinthians 12, for instance, there again, Paul speaks about gifts and he speaks about the variety of gifts. There there is a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service to the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it it is the same God different kinds of gifts, of service, of working. But God works all of them in all men. It all comes from God. And that is indeed the unity in Christ. Many members in the church receive many gifts. But because they are all one in the body of Christ, all those gifts are given to all, to the entire body. And if someone does not use his gifts for the the well-being and benefit of the other members then he is harming the body because he withholds a gift which God gave to the body and keeps it for his own. And when Jesus Christ prayed in John 17 for the unity among the believers and he prayed for that because he knew that that unity was and is essential for the church to receive protection from the evil one. And if you look again at at verse 11 of John 17, in the second part, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one, as we are one. Being one, all the members in the body, will use all their gifts readily and cheerfully for the well-being and benefit of the other members. Not just because it is nice. Not because it is good to help each other with the gifts which we received. No, but because it is essential for the church that all members use their gifts for the other members, for the entire church. God did not give those gifts to us to use them each and every one individually to keep them for our own, God gave and gives these gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to the entire congregation and everyone who does not use these gifts readily and cheerfully withhold these gifts which God gave to the congregation. The gifts and talents which God gave to you are not your own talents. Remember that. But they belong to the congregation. And therefore you are under the obligation use those talents and gifts for the congregation. It's not your choice, it is a command. Wherever your gifts are needed, whatever those gifts are, use them in a way that God wants you to use them. The Holy Spirit gives to the church, also to our local congregation, all the gifts that we need to fulfill our task in the world in which we live. We don't receive the gifts from 2,000 years ago. But we receive the gifts we need in this time. There's a difference. We don't always need the same things as as 200 or 2,000 years ago. In the very beginning, the Holy Spirit gave special gifts of speaking in tongues, for instance, and many more special gifts about which we read in, for instance, 1 Corinthians 12. But that was a very special situation. We are not in the same situation. We are in a different situation. And we receive other gifts. But whatever gifts we receive, they all must serve to fulfill the task which we have as church in this world. To be a pillar and foundation of the truth. Or to say it differently, to be witnesses of Christ. To preach the word of God. And also that being witnesses of Christ. We do not do it on our own. But we do it as church, as body of Christ. Therefore, look at your own life. Look at the gifts which you receive from God. It is your task to use them in such a way that you, together with the whole church, can fulfill the task of the church to preach the Word of God to this world. And if you are faithful in that, then we may trust that the Holy Spirit will direct us and govern us in such a way that indeed, We may grow in the unity of faith and we may be used by God to make known to this world His wonderful name and His glorious gospel. And in third place, we see that the Holy Catholic Church of Christ is a communion of saints who share in the forgiveness of sins. (coughs) Finally, we must realize that we are a communion of saints saints who are made holy, who are sanctified. Saint means one who is sanctified, one who is made holy. We are sanctified not because of anything that is in ourselves, but only through the blood and spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. He obtained for us the forgiveness of sins. Without that, we would be in exactly the same situation as anyone else in this world who does not believe. That's important to remember that, brothers and sisters. In the first place, because it makes us the more thankful for the salvation which we have. In the second place, because it makes us humble. We are not better, not from ourselves, than anyone else in this world. That we are holy and that we are saints, that is because of the work of Christ, His sacrifice. Nothing to boast in ourselves. We can only boast in the Lord our Savior, and in the grace and the love of God. Any sense of pride because we are better than others, because we know it better than others, any sense of being worthy from ourselves to be saints is against sin and brings us in the same position as anyone else who does not believe. It is in all humility that we shall stand in this world and live our lives in love for our neighbour. Because Christ first loved us so much that he gave himself up to save us. He wants the entire world to be saved and tells the church to preach this word of salvation to all nations and peoples and tongues. Do you really want your neighbor to be saved? Your neighbor is in the first place your brother and sister in the church and in your family your neighbor, that are also those whom, all those whom God places on your path, all those with whom you have contact in one way or another, your peers at school, or your colleagues, whoever you have a form of relationship with in this world. As soon as they get to know you, it must be clear to them that you are a Christian. And then it should be impossible for you not to talk about what is most important in your life and what should be most important in their lives. Do you really love them as God commands us? And do you want them to hear the gospel? Or would you rather see them receive their punishment? Do you really love this society in which you live? And do you want them all to share with you in all Christ's treasures and gifts? It is quite something that we receive from God in Christ. If we look at answer 56, I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life. No more remember. They are gone now, because I believe in Christ. They are all gone. God removes them as far as the East is removed from the West. We who were first His enemies, now we receive complete forgiveness of sins. What is it that makes us different from unbelievers? Not our sins. Not our sinful nature. Not anything in ourselves. No, it all comes from God, who gives it all to us, not because of anything in ourselves, not because of our own goodness, not even because of our own faith, but because of his, his own good pleasure. Who are we then to judge our neighbor? Who are we then to remember their sins, to hold it against them? Well, let that determine the whole way you deal with your neighbor, also your neighbor in the world. That you be known as friendly, as having patience, as loving, Is that how the world knows you? Is that how they see the Christians? Well, let it be that way. And you are the one who is important in that. You can show it to them. Then we talk to our neighbor. We talk to those whom God places on our path. We talk to them. Yes, also about their sins. We should not hide them. We should not do as if nothing happened. We love you so much and therefore we don't admonish you. That's what the world mentions. That's what the world calls love. But we talk about sin not to accuse our neighbor, but because we want him to be saved. We want him to receive from God the forgiveness of sins. And if we really love our neighbors, then we want them to receive the forgiveness of sins and to be forgiven. Then we tell them that there is forgiveness of sins. But In order to tell them that there is forgiveness of sins, yes, indeed, we have to tell them what sin is. Because if there is no knowledge of sin, then there will not be a desire to receive forgiveness of sins either. But we will always do it in an attitude of law. Because we know that we also receive forgiveness of all our sins. Even our sinful nature. We also know that we still have to struggle against our sinful nature all my life. And every day again we need to go to God and ask and receive forgiveness of sins. Is that something you tell to your neighbor? That you're also a sinner? That you also need the forgiveness of sins? Well, it makes it completely different. Different from self righteousness. And if that is our attitude humility, love for our neighbor, then more and more people will see the church as the body of Christ. And some will reject Christ, others will believe him. And then we know that God will graciously grant us and all those who believe the righteousness of Christ that we may never come into condemnation. Never come into condemnation. Receive God's grace because we are righteous in Christ. It is a beautiful gospel. That is the gospel that is preached here in church. The gospel of salvation. There is no salvation without this gospel. There is no better place to be than where this gospel is being proclaimed here in church. And this gospel we may proclaim to this world. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you may now give your sacrifices of thankfulness to the Lord. And after you give your offerings, let us then sing from Psalm 84, Stands 1, 2, and 3. Let's now pray and give thanks to God. (coughs) Almighty God, Father in heaven, we come before you now again and give thanks to you. Father, you are a good God. You are a great God. You are our Father in heaven. You provide us with all that we need. And under your blessings, even a desert, barren wilderness, because a place of springs, a lush oasis. Father, your blessings make our life good. It is good to be your people. It is good to depend on you, our God. Father, will you provide us then with all that we need, also this week again, that we may be faithful in tasks. and That we as your church may stand in this world as a pillar and foundation of the truth. And that many more around us, in whose midst we live, may see us as your church, as the body of Christ, and that many more may come to Christ and receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Father, will you work powerfully with your word and spirit here and everywhere on this this earth that your name be glorified, and your kingdom may come, and your will be done. Father, we pray this all. In the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now sing Psalm 84, verses 4, 5, and 6. Brothers and sisters, now lift up your hearts to the Lord. Receive His blessing and depart in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.